Yes. Hey, gloomy, I think, basically goes half of way as far as I want to go at this. Not only has it been a trying weekend in terms of just about everything from day-to-day life, but do we even want to start with USC basketball yet? I mean, it, it's been so unbelievably disappointing, and we've been vindicated. We have been vindicated. At least there's there's one plus here. We've been proven right that this team has hit their ceiling, but is there anything here that that we can seriously look forward to? Because this team just laid an egg on epic proportions. This team has clearly lost its mojo for the season. I, I mean, you know, you, you hit it spot on earlier. We we said that we might have thought this team hit their ceiling, but wow, it appears we have hit rock bottom at just the un, most unfortunate time of the season. I don't even know if rock bottom is the best way to put it. it. It feels like this is where they should have been. But when we look at it, it's not just an all of a sudden they suck kind of situation. The signs were there. The signs were there. They've won one road game in conference play outside of Los Angeles. So if you take out the Poly Pavilion game against UCLA, they have beat one team on the road, and that was the opener against Washington State, who we all know is the sister of the poor. So that is just awful. And I don't even like talking about them anymore. The problems are the same as they were last week. If anything, they played stupider than they have for the last few weeks, and it's just, it, it, it's mind-boggling. It, I, I, I have no answer. The only way they get into the tournament now is winning the last two games and then at least one in the conference tournament. Uh, for, Am I crazy? Forget, no, forget, and forget about it, too. They're I'm, not going to beat Oregon. They're not going to beat Oregon State. Yeah, no, I, you know, I might, might be the ASU. I, might I be the ASU in the first round of the tourney, but you know the way Gary Payton's been playing for Oregon State, you know Oregon's just, in my opinion, leaps and bounds a better team than us. I, I certainly do not see us winning another game this season. Sorry, besides for the first round against Arizona. But State. that's a maybe. That's the matchup. That's a maybe. Like we lost to ASU on the road. Granted, we're not going to play them on the road, but it's not going to be at home. It'll be a neutral site game in Las Vegas. So. For all intents and purposes, count that as a road game because we're, what, one and two in neutral site games against the Wichita State team that had no one. So I'm just saying I don't think that that's even a sure win there. But you look at it, and this team was 18-5. and five. They're 19-10. and 10. You're going to be 19-11, and 11, probably 19-12. and 12. So it's difficult because it brings into question, just like it did last week, our definition of a success. And I think here's the key distinction for this USC basketball team. They have had a successful season, but are an immense disappointment. And I think the distinction between those words is hugely important because a disappointment can be outside of the, the spectrum of just what is a success and what is not. We came in with the mindset if they can finish in the top half of the Pac-12, make very clear progression, that would be a success. This wasn't supposed to be the year that they took that huge jump. They took a huge jump. Granted, maybe not as big as we thought two weeks ago, but I think when it's all said and done, the season will still have been at the least mostly successful. They could still finish in the bottom half of the Pac-12 in a, in a standings perspective just because of how deep the conference is and how much it's been cannibalized. So I'm not going to take that as a hard line it's top six or bust i think the improvement's pretty clear but i don't think there's anyone who's going to try and convince me that this team hasn't been wildly disappointing no absolutely and and you know i'm going to question you by saying i don't know how much of a success this season really has been i mean 
sure. In, look, taking into account last season, uh, just based off record, but you know, when you're evaluating a season, you want to see growth, some progress. And this is, looks like a team that's digressed tremendously. And I don't know if it's I don't know if it's if they've, they've digressed or if the strength of schedule, uh, you know, has increased in the latter half of the season. But I'm not so convinced anymore that this is a significantly better basketball team than it was last season. The, the, the pattern that you bring up of regression versus progress is a really important point that I think goes without saying and can be overlooked, though, when you really look at how this team's holistic resume has been shaped. The first half of the season was a revelation, but the way that this second half has gone, you're 100% right. I haven't seen the progress. I've seen a huge mental step backwards. The personnel holes are going to be there. There's not going to be the dominant guy in the middle. There's not going to be the athletic big man who is capable of staying in there, rebounding, protecting the rim, doing all the things that this team doesn't do, essentially. So that's not going to fix itself. But in terms of hoping for some level of progress, there is still time for that, though. I don't think it's going to happen, but there is still time for this team to make a step forward or two, show us against a couple of good teams in Oregon, Oregon State, that perhaps they can play a little bit more mature basketball. Perhaps they can make some adjustments in game. Perhaps they can contend at a higher level than we've pinned them at. This is a team that was still competing with Oregon the first time they played them. This is a team that still beat Arizona at home. This is just a team that really is immature, and I think that immaturity is coming through above all else. But just how poorly they've played specifically this weekend makes me think that maybe this problem isn't just maturity, but a simple lack of intelligence, which I don't think is something that you can fix. It's something that you you certainly can't teach. And... And and I, I, you know, we're looking at these remaining three, you know, hopefully more than three games. And will we see some improvement? I just really don't think so. This team looks lost. I mean, we were looking, we were pointing out some of the, the things that have been the main strengths for this team all season. It's been their shooting, their half-court offense, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And when we're not shooting 40, 45% in a game, this looks like a team that's just a disaster. I mean, defensively, we're just getting blown out of the water. I mean, Stanford was just scoring at will last week. Which is amazing because statistically they have the worst offense in the Pac-12. That was the worst three-point shooting team in the conference, and they came in and made us look silly, just straight-up silly on defense. But I think part of that, and a big part of that, is we're starting to see the effects of what happens when you recruit based on athleticism and expect athleticism to translate into defense, which it did for a good chunk of the season. Enfield was right in that respect for about the first 15 games or so. We started to see that wear off as the season went on, even when they were still winning. But the the notion that just because this team is long, they're athletic, doesn't necessarily translate into them being able to make defensive stops when they need to, especially in a half-court setting. I mean, if, if there was ever a situation where they should have the advantage, it would be in a transition defense setting. And I feel like that's been probably the weakest part of their game across all. Like if you're going to break it down into four things, half-court offense, half-court defense, fast-break offense, fast-break defense, fast-break defense has been dirt poor, just dirt poor. If there's ever a time to jump out of the gym and get a block, your athleticism should show up there, and that's just been awful. Yeah, and and the the – the transition defense stems from that unintelligence on offense we were talking earlier. I mean, the the turnovers have been a problem 
pretty much the entire season. Um, but but let, let, let's let's really look ahead. Let's look at Oregon State. Let's look at Oregon. Are there are there any of either of these two games that you genuinely think we're going to be able to pull out a W? And by the way, it just shows how much confidence we've lost in this team, considering we're home for both games, where we started fifteen and zero in the beginning of the season, and, and and now you and I both seem to have no faith that we're going to win either of these games. Well, I, I think that the fifteen and zero start at home is a huge misnomer, and I think a lot of people have looked at that, at that from the wrong perspective. I don't think the home has been all that much of an advantage. I think that what has developed is this team cannot play on the road. So they've been successful at home. They've managed to win games. But I've looked at it as this is a time bomb. They will not go undefeated at home. Cal did, which is hugely impressive. But you look at the talent disparity, and that makes a little bit more sense. But this is just, you just look at the way the schedule breaks down. There's so many games to expect them to go undefeated at home and just say it's a home game they should win, I really think is misguided. So in that light, seeing them lose to Utah last weekend was by no means, or two weekends ago, not by, by no means a surprise, especially given their personnel. But this weekend, if there were two teams in the conference that this team should be able to match up with in terms of personnel, it is Oregon and Oregon State, more so Oregon, honestly, but that said, the mental aspect of the game is such such a shortfall right now and such a shortcoming that I still don't think they win either of these games. But it's going to be the Oregon State game will be interesting to see how that game is won because Oregon State won that game in the middle. They outscored SC by 25 points in the paint. We'll see how that develops in this next game because I think there'll be an emphasis on that. But there's been nothing done to fix that problem. It's not like Oregon State has a dominant big man. Our defense is just really poor inside the key. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't think we win that game just because I think Gary Payton's really, really good. I think they're playing pretty good basketball. I don't know about that. Oregon, on the other hand, is position to position of an even better matchup. They don't really have the big guy. They play essentially the same style, just with some more mature players, some better defense, which I think showed up the first time we played them. And Benny Boatwright went off. He had a fantastic game. He did everything you could ask him to do, scoring, rebounding, shooting from outside. But... I just don't see that right now. We didn't know how good Oregon was at that point. And, and let's give our guys credit. They hung there in that game. They were around pretty much the whole time. They never made that necessary run to really put a stamp on the game and, you know, even things up, <clears throat> even things up or go ahead. But that wasn't a game. That wasn't a Cal Stanford game. Oregon didn't come in here, drop their number nine ranking on the ground and, and smack us across the face with it. It was a little different than that. I think that they might do that this weekend. I could very easily see that from a matchup perspective. It's an interesting uh, perspective, but from just a uh, direction and where these teams are going versus where they've been, it's really hard to pick our team for anything. Yeah. I, I want to throw out the matchups and I, and I just want to make the bold claim that, I think that this team, again, a team that we said is built around athletes, a team that's young. It is. 100%. Has reached the point in the season where maybe they're just fatigued. You know, a, a team that's relied on their athletic ability uh, to really guide their defensive strategy the entire season. And maybe, you know, they've just hit the wall. 
I, and I think the stats back that up. This team hasn't scored over 80 points since they beat UCLA at Poly Pavilion. They haven't scored over 85 since they beat Washington at home. Yeah, they had their season low against Stanford last week. Yeah, but but they barely, they almost matched it against Cal. They had 65 against Cal, 64 against Stanford, 69 against Utah. They beat Colorado with 79 with a 30-5 run that was otherworldly. But then they scored 78 against Arizona, 67 against ASU. The offense is slowing down. I think the fatigue could be a serious point here in terms of explaining some of the issue. But holistically, I I feel like this team is playing at a level that reflects somewhere in the bottom third of the Pac-12, bottom fourth probably, which really makes me kind of sick because that that genuinely doesn't show any progress from last year. It, It basically means we got better in line with the league. That's kind of what that says. Played a weak non-conference schedule. Great. Got relatively better along the same lines as everyone else. Made the same jump as the rest of the conference. Now we're still in the bottom fourth, bottom third. So it, it, it harkens back to the question of is this just a disappointment or is it also falling down on not being a success? I still don't want to go that far yet. I'll look at it when the season's all over and make that final decision and final case, but I'll make a bold pick. I'm going to say they upset Oregon. I'm going to pick the Sunday upset against Oregon. Very bold. For no reason at all. Just because I think this team really likes having us confused, and every time I come out and say anything hugely negative, as I have most of the season— they usually win. Granted, Utah was an exception. I was right that time. Felt pretty good about that one. But for the most part, they seem to win when I'm positive that they won't. So, you know, you know, maybe I'll ensure that loss by picking them. I'm going to go ahead and say they split the weekend. Gary Payton goes off. They struggle defensively. The paint's a problem again against Oregon State. But Oregon comes down. They have an off-shooting night. The Pac-12, uh, the Galen Center actually fills out pretty good. It's not a sellout, but there's a good group of fans there. People are excited. Number nine team in the country comes to town. Oregon has an off-shooting night. Someone gets hot for SC, maybe Elijah Stewart off the bench. Boom, all of a sudden, we pull an upset by winning the game like 78-73. to 73. The offense still isn't there because they're tired, but maybe Oregon shoots themselves out of the game. Yeah, all season long, you know, the only thing that the Trojans have been good at is, you know, keeping us on our feet, keeping us confused. Uh, I could certainly see us, you know, pulling together that, you know, that last bit of whatever's left in whatever's left in the tank, you know, final game of the regular season, getting ready for the Pac-12 tournament, and a, at this point, a, a miracle big dance bid. Hey, 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 okay. Worst case scenario, though, this team goes to the NIT, which by all means could be super fun. It could also be really disappointing. I mean, no, no question about that. But I'm more looking forward to having this team get left out of the tournament so I can make my NIT bracket and we can talk about that on the show than for them to make the tournament get bounced in the first round or if they were a nine seed, to, you know, so, so to speak, get through the first round and play Kansas in the second round. I don't want to watch that. Yeah, but we're, it's you know, not worth we're it. always focused on looking ahead with this team. And I think... A key, a key component of this team, you know, making progress and getting better in the seasons coming forward is is having the ability to say, "Look, we made we made the big big dance this season. Uh, next season, we'll you know we'll get even farther in the tournament." 
And I think that's important. And, and, and if fatigue is the issue uh, that we're talking about, I think we can view this season as a, as a success. Because I think next season we have, we have a group of guys who are a year older, mm-hmm. a year more mature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe when that fatigue isn't an issue, come tournament time. I, I take your point, and I'm going to make the case of the exact opposite. I don't think that this team should make the tournament, not just because they don't deserve it. I think it's bad for them. I think they're in a situation, much like the baseball program was two years ago, where they need to be one of those four teams out, the last four that just missed by a hair. Something that stings. Something that really hurts where you can look at it. Not only did you get left out, but on national TV, everyone is pointing to you and say, look how close you came. Ha, 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 ha. Have fun with the losers. But I don't think that this team has the mental fortitude to, but it's, to bounce back the, like even the following season. If they're as serious about getting better and being a good team as it was explained to me that they were in the offseason between last year and this year, the jump is evident in terms of they are much better relative to their peers. They are not that much better, though. So... If they can make a similar jump, which I don't think they will, but still a good jump based on that drive, based on that passion, still put in the work, I feel like it's a lot easier to have something to play for, something to work for, something in the weight room, in the gym, when you're having to get the extra shots up over the summer, when you can say, we got left out, or we didn't do enough. It's easy to get into the tournament, slide in as like a 9-12 to seed, maybe win a game, and decide... We're national title contenders next year. We're going to go all the way to the Elite Eight. Like, that's our next—we want to go deeper. This isn't a deeper team. Look at UCLA. You know, they're a team last season that—they made a run of the Sweet 16, I believe, and they're a disaster this season. They they should not have been in that game. They got a gift from SMU. That was a very bizarre circumstance, and I've heard the UCLA point made a few times that, hey, anything can happen. You're right. Sometimes you need some help from the guys in black and white. But I think with this team, though— they need to be one of the four, first four teams out. They need the same thing that baseball had. And it showed last year. The baseball team d- made all of the right moves. They made all the right jumps. Everyone got progressively better to the point that they left no doubt that they belonged to be there. They tailed off similarly to the way this team has. And they should have been hosting a regional. Instead, they ended up uh, being the two-seed in a regional. So they didn't get to host it. But they still were able to be a part of it without much of a shadow of a doubt. This year, I think so far, they're struggling with a little bit of a different thing. They're Essentially, they're a year removed from struggling with the same kind of issue that we're discussing might be a problem for the basketball team if they were to make it into the tournament now. Whereas they expect things, uh, the notion that everything has to be earned can be lost at times. I think if this team is going to make their best impact, though, in the offseason and take advantage of that time the most, they need to have something that hurts really, really bad. They've lost five out of six. If we can come in at the end of the year and say, you guys lost eight out of the last nine games and had everyone in the country see that you were one of the first four teams out, I think that's bulletin board material to the nth degree and would really light a fire. It's certainly one way of looking at it. I, I, once again, you know, I, I just can't see this team if they don't make that tournament, you know, especially with the, the downward spiral that we've had at the end of the season. I just can't see this team really taking away much from the season. You know, you, you might say they'll have something in, sitting in their stomach, something that, you know, really stings coming to next season, that they'll be hungrier come the end of the season to make that, you know, that last push. But 
you know, once again, it, it's a long season. I, I think I think that's motivation at the beginning of the season. I don't know if it's something that carries them over for the entire season. Um, but again, when I think about this season, you know, taking into account what our guest Sam was talking about last week, part of the other reason I want to see them, you know, hopefully scrap together two, three games and make a bid to the big dance is once you're in, anything can happen. And especially for a team that's young, that's going to be playing in front of thousands of, of fans, hopefully some traveling SC fans, uh, who knows who knows what this team could produce in the, like I said, in the event, in the miracle that we make it to the tournament, especially if the problem is fatigue, like we've been talking about. Does the adrenaline kick in? Do we see something from this USC basketball team that we haven't seen in seemingly, you know, in, in the last two, three weeks? You bring up great points. I'm not going to agree with you on this. This is just one thing that I'm going to dig my heels in, and I'm a pretty firm believer that just having seen the mentality of this team change from being underdogs to being big men on campus to being failures in like five weeks really makes me feel like they need to be put in their place and they need it to hurt really, really bad. And it's not fun. It's not fun for them. It's 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 even less fun for us as fans and students who are desperately hoping for that. The, this campus, when they, when they played UCLA at home in, in that sellout, how much of a feeling did you just get that this school wanted that? They wanted to be a basketball school. If there was ever a time for that move to be made, it's now with football in such a uncertain place, new coach year after year after year. They just, they needed it. And this team has fallen short. They've dropped it. They've let all those fans down in addition to themselves. And as they go into this offseason, if they're rewarded for that, I don't think they can progress enough to make serious strides. I think that rewarding them at this point would be like giving a child candy for getting a B on the report card. You're not going to give your kid a gift just because he got a B in the class when in reality he was pulling a 98 most of the semester, then had a couple bad tests, was pulling a 75, and then all of a sudden had a great final exam, gets a B, boom. You worked hard. You worked hard. But the mentality wasn't there the whole time. You can't look me in the eye and say, I was completely focused on this the entire way. I know if my mom did that when I was in elementary school, there would have been no gifts. There would have been no candy. There would have been no fun for getting a B. But basketball is such a game of confidence where this team needs some proof of concept. And, and you know, we, we, we've been debating it all day. Is this season a success? And I just feel like, you know, if this team just flops miserably in the, in the remaining three, four games, and, yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sit and sting, but, what, you know, what are you going to take away from this season? What are you going to use next season to believe that you can make that run? You know, it's one thing you know, to really be left feeling empty and use that as motivation. But this team also has to have a sense that they can succeed. And I just don't think that happens unless uh, unless they can fix some really scary basketball problems that they've been making in the last few weeks. Well, that's a huge point. There are some very scary basketball problems that transcend just the lack of maturity and the youth and the fatigue. But we're going to wrap things up with USC men's basketball because, darn it, we've complained about this enough. 
We've thought about this enough because it's nothing but disappointing and frustrating. There's nothing exciting to talk about. This has made me almost as upset as the stupid girl in front of me at Coffee Bean who was FaceTiming on her phone in line with no headphones in. What kind of psychopath does that? I'm sorry. You have to be crazy. That's what USC basketball is doing to me right now. They are the psychopath in line that can't put in a pair of headphones to talk to their sister halfway across the world. Oh, it's it's driving me nuts. It's it's just only almost as bad as when you walk into the bathroom and there's someone sitting on the on the stall FaceTiming. That, oh, oh, that is so that, awful. That's one of yeah. my personal favorites. That one's a, that one's brutal. Are, are those people like wherever you're in public and they've just got the headphones in and they're talking to no one? He's like, what do you want from me? Oh, you're talking to your dad. Cool. Why can't you just pick up the phone like a normal person instead of talking through your headphones and making everyone think that you're having a conversation with an invisible ghost? This is nonsense. Well, you're listening to The Hot Take. We're giving you some hot takes for the first time in a while, but we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. After the break, though, we are going to talk some interesting stuff as it pertains to Steph Curry. I've got some opinions on this. We're going to have a guest on the phone who has talked this with me before and I know has a varying opinion. So we're going to be back with myself, Cooper Perkins, Garrett Schwartz, and Aria Sadegi on the phone for now. Stay tuned as we will have more of the hot take coming up on deck. You mentioned earlier we were going to bring... We were going to bring everyone back to planet Earth. Steph Curry has been on another planet the entire season. Uh, reigning MVP, leading scorer. Uh, and yeah, this game was, was certainly a nice one to add to the resume. But please, this guy's been doing it all season. I, I mean, maybe you just look at this game and, you know, with that, you know, 30, almost 40 plus 30, sorry, 30 plus foot shot and take it into account with the fact that he was lying on the floor in the third quarter looking like maybe his season was over. Like, sure, sure, it could have been his his top of the top of the NBA moment. But no, this this guy's this guy's been the best. He is the best. Uh, it's not even a conversation um, for NBA MVP this season. It's it is clearly Steph Curry's league. Now, as I take a quick second, Aria, do we have you? How you doing, man? Bingo. All right, finally. Happy to have you on. That was a huge process and a tremendous pain. But you know what? The studio sucks sometimes. We're happy to have you on. So we're talking Steph Curry. And I was just leading in my boy Garrett here about how there was a game this week, apparently. And supposedly there was a shot in this game where everyone seems to think that Steph put his, his mark on the league saying, oh, this league is mine. And I don't know if I missed something, but I'm not necessarily buying it. What's your take here on what was a tremendous performance, but am I misguided here to think that Steph still isn't the captain of the NBA? Well, Coop, I think you do have a problem there because a couple weeks ago you were saying that it's still LeBron's league no matter what Steph does. And, I mean, I don't know what this guy has to do to prove people like you wrong. I mean, in the past two weeks, the guy's shooting 60% from the field, 60% from the three-point land, and he's averaging like six or seven three-pointers a game. I mean, it's something that we haven't seen ever before. It's bringing up topics about should we make a four-point line in the NBA? And although a lot of people think that's absurd, when there was only two-pointers, bringing the concept of a three-point line was Basically, it was being treated the same as this whole four-point line topic. Well, that doesn't even make that, that, that one would, single. Per, 
bringing in a four-point line wouldn't make sense. That's just a Steph Curry line. No one shoots from 28 feet out except for him. You look at the breakdown, and he's I mean, taking like 60 shots. Good the man is. But you don't just reward him by changing the rules. No, I understand that. But, I mean, it's clear-cut when the guy has five losses. He has like 20 games left in the season. He's clearly putting the team on his back. They just went on a six-game road trip cleaned out all six games and I mean even in the game where it seemed like the Thunder had done every possible thing they could do to win that game he single-handedly put that team on his back and did not let them lose Uh, I'm with you on this one I I think it's Steph Curry's league teams can't find a way to guard him I mean you look at the Oklahoma City game you know Oklahoma you know they know that Steph Curry can virtually shoot from anywhere on the floor they know Golden State pretty much uh, you know, have four or five guys who could shoot lights out from the three-point line. Up until pretty much the fourth quarter of that game, they didn't have a single player hitting a three. Yet Steph Curry, you know, set the tying the single-season record for threes in a game with 12. Uh, the guy is unguardable. I, okay, yes, unguardable, I sure. I totally agree. I completely agree. There's the Steph Curry conundrum, the shots that you want him to, want him to take are the ones that he wants to take. But here's what I'm saying, and this is where I'm coming from. What happens if we get to the NBA Finals, the Cavs come together, and LeBron reminds us how good he is? He's sitting back and laughing right now. I bet he respects the living daylights out of Steph, thinks he's an incredible player, but I bet you he's laughing just going, I can make the Warriors look stupid. And what happens if they go out and they win the NBA Finals and LeBron reminds us that he can go for 40 any night that he wants, that he can do literally anything that he wants on any given night? Just because Steph can shoot from really far away, which is entertaining, it's good for the league, it's awesome and fun, no doubt about that. He, When it's all said and done, he will deserve to be in the Hall of Fame just for what he has done to the game in the last two years. I firmly believe that. But when we get to see this head-to-head again in a seven-game series with LeBron James and some supporting cast who are actually going to be able to pick him up this year barring anything ridiculous happening in the last 20 games, I just wonder what's going to happen when LeBron gets his turn to finally turn things on because we know he's been saving himself, he's been prioritizing winning, making the team better. And we see Steph maybe have an off night again. That happened last year in the finals. Granted, he really hasn't had any this year. But that matchup is going to mean a lot. I will finally concede if I see that head-to-head and just decide, okay, he's proven me wrong. LeBron clearly is his inferior. I just don't think that LeBron is his inferior. Before I I elaborate on that, you got to give me an explanation for what happened in Cleveland this year when LeBron had his full team. And Steph and company came and just pounded them out of their own house. That's a tough game. That's a tough one-game sample. Why? Why is that any tougher? Because it doesn't matter. Because LeBron is sitting there thinking, we lost a regular season game. We got embarrassed. I'm disappointed. But just because they're losing doesn't mean LeBron's going to come out and decide, okay, it's LeBron time. We're going we're to make a show out of this. We're going to do everything physically possible to win this game. It's a waste of his energy. Steph doesn't really need to do that because his mode of winning isn't that energy intensive. I mean, he can sit back as long as he's hitting his shots. It's not like it takes a tremendous mental toll on him and physical toll to just take over a game and dominate. We saw that. We saw that. That was demonstrated in that game against OKC where he hit the shot from virtually half court, really casually. But I feel like that 
encapsulates just what his taking over a game means. It means that he can score from anywhere, but he's not going to take it upon himself to win a game any way possible. LeBron will win a game on defense. He'll win a game on offense. He'll win a game at the foul line. Steph won't do that. If for any reason whatsoever Steph's shot is gone, Steph cannot take over a game. Well, I got I to gotta go with the other side and say that LeBron has had trouble. I mean, he's putting up the stats when he gets to the finals, but how many finals has he won and for what reason? I mean, the guy, if you let him take a far jump shot, that's what the, that's what the defense wants. The guy's main motive is to drive to the basket, to pound and ground you, and to try and get an easy layup at the basket. But when you're sitting back and you're giving him a, a barely contested jumper, that's what you want at the defense. And I guarantee when the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers match up in the NBA Finals, granted that the Warriors do have home court, which is going to be huge throughout that whole thing, and I guarantee that LeBron, and LeBron is not going to be able to make the shots that the Golden State Warriors are going to be making and take, and Steph is. But I mean, is who, who on that right team in the regular is going to make him take jump shots? Like, he'll do that in the regular season. He's fine with that at this point. But when it's all said and done in the finals, he's going to go right after them. He's going to get Bogut. He's going to get Draymond in foul trouble. What guard on that team, What uh, is it going to be Iguodala who's going to try and keep him out of the paint? I, there is not a single person in the league when he wants to drive that can stop him from doing that. If he's ready to give and himself so in full part. Him and make him kick it out. But you could just as easily say there's not a single guy in the league who can get in front of Steph Curry and stop him from sh- pulling up from seemingly anywhere within 40 feet. The difference is physicality and getting to the rim and being physically unstoppable like a train doesn't take a day off. A shooting stroke can take a day off. It doesn't matter. We talked, you talked earlier about how much of a confidence game the NBA and basketball as a whole are. If for any reason that confidence goes away, if he rolls his ankle again, like we've seen him have problems earlier in his career, if all of a sudden he has a three for 15 game, where does that confidence come into a factor with Steph? LeBron doesn't need confidence. There's, you don't need confidence to, confidence to dunk, shoot free throws, and play great defense. It's, you know, it's funny you say that, too, because I was, I was talking with some friends this weekend, and they were explaining Steph Curry to me just in terms of his, his will to win. Something that's not quantifiable and, you know, something that maybe may even sound a little bit silly, but... You know, my, my friend was trying to convince me that Steph Curry has a will to win greater than something that cannot be taught greater than any other player in the NBA by leaps and bounds. And, and Steph Curry's a guy who had late in the game, you know, I was watching him uh, not only against Oklahoma City this past week, but against uh, Miami on the road uh, on Wednesday, I believe. And Steph Curry consistently pulls games or takes over games and hits the big shots when it counts. But when you're talking about confidence, LeBron James is a guy who has experienced failure. He's not worried. He, like, like you said when we were talking about that regular season game between Cleveland and Golden State, I agree. LeBron James does not care. He's just His, he, his eyes are set on the postseason. You know, the Warriors have their, their season record that they're chasing. I don't think there's much to look into in that game. But what happens when Steph Curry loses some of his swagger we haven't seen him, well, I guess maybe with his ankle injuries, but in terms of you know his mental game, we haven't seen him have to demonstrate kind of any resiliency in his career. 
I, we saw it a little bit last That's year true. in the finals. A little bit. And but I think I think he was sparked. I don't think he sparked that that jump. I think that was carried by his team. I think he was a guy who was kind of in a funk through what game up until game four of the NBA Finals last season. Sure. And and I don't well, think I mean, he I don't think, think he was the, the one who pulled himself out of that. Injuries, the ankle injuries are not a fair assumption to make because we've seen Paul George uh, tear, his, tear his knee in half during a USA game. I mean, the worst injuries can happen at any time. So I don't really buy that whole argument on if Steph Curry's confidence. He, he did it again last night. Injuries. He rolled his ankle again I last think, night. It's relevant. Fine. I mean, he's still playing. He's still playing on it. And, and I think we've gotten to the point where Steph is going to be confident no matter what's going on. If, I mean, if the guy's going to miss 10 three-pointers in a game, if he thinks that 11 three-pointer is a good shot, he's going to take it no matter what. He's got that much confidence in his shot. That's true. What happens, though, what happens, though, when that will to win is matched by an equal will to win? Because I will give LeBron the credit. He has lost. He has failed. But you would be hard-pressed to argue that he doesn't have an equal, if not more powerful, will to win. It's taken him from team to team. It's taken him with a team that was literally himself and Matthew Dellavedova to Game 6 of the NBA Finals against this same Steph Curry. So I, I look at that and I see if there was ever a, like, if we want to treat this like Star Wars, if there was ever an equal and opposite force that could meet Steph Curry, it's LeBron. And maybe the confidence doesn't matter then. Maybe we're just talking hypotheticals and intangibles. But if that's the case, then we need to see more to actually give this to Steph and just straight up say, he is the best player in the league, no matter what, under all circumstances. Because I don't think he is until he proves that he and his will to win and his confidence and his day-in and day-out approach, which is incredible in the regular season. I, I marvel at the guy. I love him. He's a fantastic role model as well. But I'm still going to defend LeBron James to the end until Steph can prove to me that that will to win is both more and is capable of overtaking someone who is an equal and better at the same level almost or an equal adversary. You know, there's no other player in the NBA outside of LeBron James that can look Steph Curry in the eye and say, I'm going to beat you real bad right now. There's no one. There's no one who has that confidence. There's no one who doesn't care enough. Kobe in his prime would have been like that. That would have been an amazing matchup to see, but we don't get to. So the only way to really be able to anoint him is to have definitive proof that in an equal setting, his will to win and his ability to overcome adversity and take on truly a transcendent talent equal or better to his and come out on top. I don't think it's fair to just say that, hey, he hit 12 threes against Oklahoma City, who is a great team with great players, but it's a regular season game. It doesn't mean anything, and LeBron's proven that to us time and again. LeBron is loving the fact that the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry are dominating the talk around the NBA, especially considering the Warriors are going to be chasing this, this NBA season record. Uh, as the regular season winds down. So uh, a question I posed to you, Aria, was that right? A question I posed to you, Aria, is do you think it's going to take a toll on the Warriors having to play their best every night, you know, having to be on their game every every single regular season game, you know, as the season winds out? Because, you know, it'd be naive to, to say that they're not, they don't care about that Chicago Bulls record. Do you think that's going to take a toll on the Warriors when LeBron James is sitting back cruising to the top, you know, cruising to the number one spot in the Eastern Conference. 
And for the first time in probably his career, the media circus isn't really all that much on LeBron. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't think it's going to take a toll simply because 80% of these games that they're winning, these starters aren't even playing in the fourth quarter because their point differential on these games are so high. They're just absolutely dominating teams for three quarters and resting their big guys in the fourth it's quarter. It's still 82 games. I'll, 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 get, I'll give you, I'll concede that for the entire scope of the season, but look at their last month. 13 points, 8 right. points, 13 points, 8 points. Road trip. That's a big, they had a lot of road games too, though. Half of those were at home right there. Then you have OKC on the road. Three points in, in in overtime. Orlando, 16 points, but Orlando's garbage, so give them that. Miami, though, six points. Atlanta, 10 points. These are all games. The Clippers, three points. So this margin of victory is shrinking as the season reaches the end, which doesn't hey, necessarily— I mean, Coop, you just named really, really elite teams. I mean, you just named the Clippers. You just named a, a defensive uh, edge team in the, in the heat. And you named the Hawks, who always find a way to compete with good teams and get smacked by bad teams. I mean, but, but you're, you're, you're telling I me I don't think it's taken a toll. I think that the Warriors, their style of play is revolved around the three-point shot and not so much the way the Cavs play, where, and LeBron especially, where he's driving to the basket to get almost every bat, to get almost every point that he scores, and he's got to make contact all the time. So I think his body's taken way more of a toll than anybody on the Warriors simply because of the style of play. Now, we still don't really know how much better than San Antonio the Warriors are. We have one sample, and it was a compelling sample, but we're going to see these two teams play three times in the last two, two, three weeks of the season. If there's any team that I think that favors, it's San Antonio, because their style is not that mysterious. There's no curiosity as to how you guard San Antonio or how you beat San Antonio. They're just a very, very good team top to bottom. Now, however, yep. on the other side, they basically get three practice runs against the Warriors where if they're chasing this record, they're going to get the Warriors best. They're going to see exactly what they're going to look like in a playoff setting. They're going to see Steph Curry for three, four quarters as long as they hang with them long enough. As that adjustment starts to set in in the second matchup, the third matchup, then into the playoff series that will ensue. Is that enough to potentially shift that weight in favor of the Spurs and make it possibly even a larger hurdle than LeBron and the Cavs for Steph and company to get through? Because I'm still not convinced and ready to say that San Antonio is not the best team in the West. The Warriors have won more games, but San Antonio is not far behind. They're still fantastic. They still can do things that no other team can do. Granted, Steph is proving everyone that the NBA is a different league in every single way possible i mean he, he truly has revolutionized things in a year and a half which is amazing but i look at those three matchups and i don't look at it as foreshadowing i look at it as three dry runs of scouting and opportunities to try things out and figure out what sticks against the wall and how do we defend him i think you could say the exact same thing about the warriors and then being able to scout the spurs and you said the spurs are running the exact same offense you know what you're getting every single time you know what you're getting with the Warriors every single time. Draymond's coming up to set a screen. You double-team. He gives it to Draymond. You don't double-team. He's pulling up or he's finding the open man or driving. I mean, it's just fundamental basketball that these guys are running to the ultimate level of perfection. And, I mean, give Jerry West instead of Draymond is, it is the best pick and roll player that we've seen in a long, long time. He knows exactly what to do with the ball, and he knows who to find. And when you have all those shooters, it doesn't matter what kind of scouting report you have. 
if those guys are knocking down shots like they have been all season, that's a tough, tough team to beat, no matter who you are. Yeah, and uh, until we see Golden State start to maybe hit a wall, uh, it's hard to make an argument. I, I... I agree with Cooper. I think I think that uh, the Warriors' biggest challenge isn't the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think it's the San Antonio Spurs. I think it's getting to the finals. I agree. Not winning in the finals. Um, but I also think that Golden State is going to be going through a different a different season than every other team in the NBA. You know, Greg Popovich has the luxury. You know, he's built he's basically built a career off resting his starters. Uh, the Golden State Warriors. And this is what happened with the Miami Heat a few years ago with LeBron James. The Golden State Warriors are facing teams every single game, bringing their fullest. And and, and for you to say that the Warriors, it's not taking a lot of energy because right. they're winning by so much, that's ridiculous. They're they're giving a lot every single night. It And especially that, you know, they made the finals last year. That's almost an extra third of a regular season added on. Sure. They're going to get tired. And I'm going to give you guys a comparison here, and I want you to try and rebuttal and see if you can prove me wrong or point where there's a hole in the story. But I'm looking at this Warriors team like they are the 2005 USC football team. They're star-studded. They've got Reggie Bush, who, for our purposes, will play the Steph Curry role. He's revolutionized college football. He does things that no one has done in generations. This team is getting... Credit from analysts and experts saying that perhaps they're the best college football team ever. But quietly on the other side, there's a Texas team led by Vince Young, who has put up almost equally incredible numbers and been equally as impactful for his team, LeBron James. And they're playing a one-game season. And what happens in that one-game season? The greatest team in college football history did not win. This is going to be a one-series season for Cleveland, for Vince Young, LeBron James, whatever you want to call him. And I've seen this movie before, and the Giant loses. Why would that not be the case here? Because you're comparing football and basketball, where football comes down to a bunch of game, a bunch of turnovers, fumbles, interceptions that can change all the, the whole aspect of the game. And it's only one game versus a seven-game series where you're going into arguably the toughest place to play in the entire NBA in Golden State Stadium. And you have to try and beat this team four games out of seven. And they barely lost five out of, I don't even know, 60 games in the season. Yeah, I I don't think that that Cleveland's... Four times when the rest of the NBA has struggled with all these scouting reports to only beat them five times. Cleveland's not sneaking up on you like like Texas did to SC. They get no attention. They're dead silent. The media, as you just said yourself a few minutes ago, is locked in on Steph Curry. Curry, excuse me, Curry. They're chased for seventy-three wins. That entire Golden State team is under a microscope, just like Matt Leinart was, just like Reggie Bush was. We've got this a very the, when you look at this side by side in my opinion this is scary. You've got star power, you've got transcendent talent, you've got one elite player, a group of solid players and a team looking to the end the entire season and having a target on the back of the big boy. They've been looking at Steph no, Curry Cooper, the whole year. Fair at all. I don't think that's fair, man, because this is why that Vince Young team didn't have the star-studded power that the roster that the Cleveland Cavaliers have. When you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, you have three of the top 15 players in the entire NBA. 
they're not just some low-key team that's coming in and is going to have this epic Cinderella story against this against this titan of a Warriors team. You have a, a team that's been spending a ton of money to have a, a 10-man roster, and if they win, yeah, it's going to be a big surprise. But did they, is it going to be a big surprise to the Cavs? No, because they've spent all this money and all this time trying to build this team in the East, this dominance. Now here, if we're talking about hypothetical things, here's what I wish. I wish that LeBron James would have spent his entire NBA career in the Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference because it's been a cakewalk to the NBA Finals every single year. And I don't want somebody telling me that playing the Pacers with Roy Hibbert and Paul George and Lance Stevenson and them going to get seven games with them and having to play the Atlanta Hawks. What about what about uh, what about when Miami right? had to play that Boston team? You know, the, the last season that Pierce Garnett, Ray Allen, Rondo That's were together. Easily the toughest team that they've had to play in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you think about who's coming out the West every year, and I don't even think LeBron goes to half of the finals appearances that he does if he has to go through Oklahoma City, the San Antonio Spurs, the Lakers back when they were playing. There's no way he makes the same amount of final appearances. Yeah, but Le- LeBron, LeBron also hasn't had the supporting cast a lot of the, not necessarily in Miami, but you know, a, a lot of the times when he's made these I runs. Mean, I mean, certainly not the cast the past, that Steph Curry has now. Seven years. He didn't have Andre Iguodala coming off the bench. Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes. That's all homegrown talent that's evolved with this system. I think if you put Draymond Green, if he was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, he doesn't turn into half the player that he is right now. That might be. I, I, I think to some extent he's a there. product of his situation. Well, we are in our last minute. Aria, I don't agree with you, but I thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you on the phone. Pleasure for me as well. Thank you. Well, we'll get you in the studio again soon, so thank you. That was Aria Sadegi on the line for us. Garrett, before we sign off, you got any final notes for these beautiful people? I really just want to see our Trojan basketball team surprise us. Let's get let's get one let's heck let's let's go on a let's go on a win streak. Let's win three, four in a row to end the season. Let's make that that bid to the big dance. Let's erase a lot of the pessimism we've been talking about. Let's go Trojans. Well that does it for us here at the Hot Take. You've been listening to Cooper Perkins and Garrett Schwartz. We'll be back next week at Tuesday, just as always. For now, stay toasty.